0: Symbolism is always prevalent when it comes to New Year's. The new year represents a fresh start or a clean slate, a new and better you. We even make resolutions,
1: promises to ourselves that give us a sense of control over what comes next in our lives. But as you know, nothing takes control away from someone quicker than a
0: senseless crime. This countdown, we're exploring the crimes that destroyed that symbolic clean slate just as the clock hit midnight. All of these crimes will have you shaking your
1: head in disbelief, but number one, a story that was adapted into a movie will have you frustrated with how the events unfolded.
0: Hey all you weirdos, welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week
1: we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling
0: crimes, all picked by the Parcast research gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 outrageous New Year's crimes. I'm going to be honest,
1: I have never really cared a ton about New Year's. No, you really haven't. I really haven't.
0: I used to be like Mrs. New Year's Eve herself. I can confirm that. (laughs) It was literally my favorite holiday. I would buy my outfit like weeks in advance and I'd party my little face off. But I feel like I went too hard, too fast. You feel... I did. I did did go too hard, too fast. And now I'm like a geriatric person. So me and Drew just get cheesecake and we bring it to Elena and John's and we watch Silly Countdowns. It really, it's just lost all meaning. Or perhaps it's gained a new one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I just, I used to be a lot more fun.
1: But you know what? Judging by this list, I will say, or at least my half of the list, it's probably a good thing that you hung that, you know, glittery tiara. Or that glittery headband. Those are fun. Or insert your chosen year glasses up. Yep. I'm glad you put those away because the crimes on this list are chaotic, to say the absolute very least. Number one, especially, that's I have number one in case you were wondering. It's going to have your jaw on the floor. It's so frustrating and so insane. And it's honestly probably going to make a lot of people rethink their New Year's plans.
0: Yeah, I think the whole list might have that effect on people, because I have some crazy ones on my side of the list, too. Because that's how this whole thing works. Alina has five outrageous New Year's crimes, and so do I. But neither of us knows what's on the other person's list. Let's start the countdown.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. 10.
0: I'll start us off with number 10, the Naked Ronald Reagan prank. Back in 2014, there was a reality show called Jersey Bell on Bravo. It only lasted one season, ended in September that year. One of the show's stars, Danielle Yancey, was back to living a pretty normal life with her husband in Alabama the following year, when she landed in the spotlight again thanks to a man wearing nothing more than a sock and a Ronald Reagan mask. I'm upset. You're like, please tell me. More. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> no, stay. Stay for the ride. <laughs> So at approximately 10.50 p.m. on New Year's Eve 2015, Danielle says she was watching a movie in her bedroom. Her husband Bart was watching football in the living room. It was a pretty chill New Year's Eve that year. Yeah, you know. Meanwhile, outside, an unknown man wearing nothing but a strategically placed sock, I'll say, and a Ronald Reagan mask sneaked through a small gate into the breezeway of their house and their security cam footage online. How is this real? (laughs) Oh, it's real. How? So Bart, the husband, had gotten up from the game and walked to the kitchen. So on his way back, he caught a glimpse of the naked man outside in the mask. The masked man took off running. Despite Bart actually chasing after him, he got away. Danielle wrote on her website, quote, He told me what happened and I didn't believe him because I thought Bart was trying to joke around. When Bart called the police, I played back our ADT security footage, watched it on the security monitor and realized Bart was not joking. Here's the thing, my husband
1: also likes to joke and prank. Yeah. If he told me I just ran after a naked man wearing a sock and a Ronald Reagan mask, that is too weird for him to make up. You I know, feel like that is real. Too that's many reality. details. That's the thing. Way too weird for him to make up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> just believe him. And I feel like he would be like out of breath. He'd be like, I was just chasing this guy. <laughs> it's like, that's a lot for Frank. Well, she also wrote how the couple didn't know what the man's next move was going to be, whether he was drunk, on drugs, etc. Like, it's New Year's Eve, so, I mean, party, party, you never know. Daniel posted about it on social media, and the story took off and got a ton of attention. Daniel and Bart were even informed that a naked peeping Tom had been arrested in their neighborhood, but it wasn't the same guy. What was happening that
1: New Year's Eve, 2015, are you okay? What was happening in the neighborhood? What's happening?
0: Now, four days after this happened, a neighbor came by their house and said they knew who the naked Ronald Reagan was and he wanted to come by and apologize. No, thank you. Which he did. No, thank you. It turned out to be a neighbor's son's friend. The group of guys were just pulling a prank. Luckily for him, Danielle and Bart did not press charges or even more lucky that Bart wasn't armed or that the police didn't show up to catch him or something else more wild happened. Okay, I'm all about like
1: pranks, like fun, harmless pranks. Oh yeah, you love a good prank. I love a good prank, but I'm sorry. You show up naked to my house, i'm calling the police like that's not a prank to me like it's not happening well i was gonna say it doesn't feel like a prank it feels intrusive it Mm -hmm. feels disgusting and it feels violating and you're getting arrested like sorry yeah you're getting arrested or i'm like gonna sick my blind dog on you and my husband
0: (laughs) my blind (laughs) dog and my husband both of
1: them i'm just gonna call the police and probably my angry toddler i don't know i'll sick them all on you (laughs) everybody everybody out yeah just hold go Nine. At number nine is the death of David Devorah in Abilene, Texas. Most people spend their New Year's Eve with friends. For a group of Texas teens in the city of Abilene, that's basically what they wanted to do. But to get the whole gang together, they first had to bail another friend out of jail as one does. <laughs> to do that, they needed some cash. The four teens were given a tip that David Devora's house might have some valuables worth stealing in cash for the bail money. So they headed to David's house and that's where things went horribly wrong. December 31st, 2019, David Devora is sitting at home watching a football game with two other people. David was a community college student and was in town visiting his family. Around 8 p.m., acting off that tip from a fifth person, our 14 suspects cruise up to the house. One stays in the car as the getaway driver. Three of them knock on David's door. Obviously, they're not there to watch the game. They're there to, quote, hit a lick, as it was reported, which means essentially they were going to rob him. I'm so glad that you explained because I was like, what is hit a lick? Yes, I'm so glad that I could explain (laughs) (laughs) this. I felt the same way. I was like, excuse me, what, what's that? What are you gonna do? They're gonna rob him. Now remember this entire idiotic plan was because their friend was in jail and they needed to post bail. Yikes. One smart decision after another, it seems. They're just really, they're piling it on.
0: Teenagers.
1: Reportedly the three geniuses knocked on the door. David Devorah answered, got scared and started to close the door when one of the suspects fired his gun. Devorah was shot and killed. Oh my God. I know, when I read this, I did not see that coming. That escalated so quickly. All four teens involved were indicted on robbery and murder charges. The man who tipped them off about David Devorah's alleged valuables was also arrested. Six lives needlessly ruined over a senseless crime. Truly
0: senseless. That's ridiculous. Eight. Number eight on our countdown of outrageous New Year's crimes is the disappearance of Selena Not Afraid. According to the New York Times, in 2019, more than 5,500 calls came into the FBI to report missing Indigenous women. It's a national crisis that was part of an oxygen documentary that was filming in 2019 and 2020. The documentary crew was in the Billings, Montana area on New Year's Day 2020, when sadly 16-year-old Selena Not Afraid disappeared and became part of the story. Lonnie Coombs is the narrator for the Oxygen True Crime documentary that was filming in Billings in 2020, and she's also a former prosecutor in Los Angeles. She commented in an interview about the issue of indigenous women disappearing and being killed at alarming rates. Quote, being there in Montana and starting to assess the situation myself with what was going on there, it was astounding to me. It was overwhelming to find out the depth of this crisis and the statistics to me are just almost unbelievable.
1: No, what's crazy to me is that they were there to make a documentary about this specific thing that it sounds like they really didn't have a ton of knowledge about. Right. None of us do. Like, this is, like, a very huge problem that is being very swept under the rug. That's the perfect way to describe it. That's, like, exactly what I was going to yeah. say,
0: swept under the rug. And
1: then they show up to investigate this whole thing, and it happens right, right in front of their them. eyes. Like, that's crazy. It's like who a wake-up would, call. Who would ever think that
0: that would happen? Seriously. Well, Selena was a member of the Crow tribe, and she was officially missing around 2 p.m. on New Year's Day 2020. She had been at a party the night before. She was in a van with some others when they pulled over at a rest stop because of car trouble. This is where Selena was last seen walking into a nearby field, like so creepy and ominous. While she was doing that, the others got the van running again and drove off, leaving her behind. Which I'm like, why did you guys do that in the middle of winter in Montana? Thank you, I I was
1: literally just about to say, it is not only winter, But winter in Montana. Very
0: cold. And, like, why are you leaving someone behind? Yeah, like, I don't even care if it's, like, the summer. I don't care what time it is. Why are you leaving your friend behind? Yeah, no friends left behind. Never, ever. So a family member drives to the rest stop to pick Selena up, and she's not there. A search begins. On January 20th, 2020, Selena's body is found about a mile from the rest stop. An initial autopsy concluded that she died of hypothermia. But in January 2021, news reports suggested the family and investigators were still trying to piece together the whole story. The 20-year-old whose party Selena was at on New Year's Eve was charged with endangering the welfare of children because of her intent to serve alcohol. What a messy case. It's very convoluted and I feel like there's a lot of questions that need answers. Yeah, that's a chaotic case.
2: Seven.
1: At number seven this week is the Texas homeowner who shot his party guest in self-defense. New Year's Eve means tons of parties, and with lots of parties comes opportunity for chaos. In 2017, a private invite-only party in Cypress, Texas, brought some chaos to an otherwise quiet exclusive gated community when a drunk partygoer refused to leave and was shot and killed by the homeowner. The homeowner claims the victim started to fight him and he had no other choice. It's possible Texas law was on his side. Just after 3:30 a.m you know the best things happen then. Immediately I was like oh okay yeah everything great happens at 3 a.m in the morning. Go to sleep. Just after 3.30 a.m., this private party was winding down. Roughly 200 people had been celebrating the arrival of 2018. That's a lot of guests, but there was plenty of room. The house sits in a gated community that also has its own small airport. Casual. Very casual. Residents keep small planes and hangars on their properties there. Don't so you? Like, cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> The then 48-year-old homeowner says one drunk guest was refusing to leave and that the guest started to fight with him. He said the guest's actions left him no other choice but to shoot. He said self-defense. The guest was pronounced dead at the scene. One neighbor told the local news, quote, I'm just surprised their party led to that, to be honest with you. They always seem like nice people. Most of the time their parties are under control. The loudest thing they've got is their vehicles. Investigators said the homeowner cooperated and gave a detailed report of events. Here's some interesting points, not to be all conspiracy theory on you. Please be all conspiracy theory on us. You know what? We'll do. So neither the homeowner or victim were ever identified in news reports that we could find, which that's shocking in and of itself. Yeah. Usually it leaks somewhere. It also makes you wonder, like, who are these people? Yeah, what's going on? It's like this is a gated community with, like, Clearly, very rich people—they rich, rich. Now, it's also been reported that the homeowner would not face a grand jury. Interesting. Again, who is this person? Yeah, who is right. This homeowner? At the time of this recording, we didn't see any witness statements or charges made public. What is going on? Like, why is this so hush hush? Yeah, I feel like
0: it has to be somebody prominent, at least in like the area.
1: I think one of the interesting things about this, too, is the Texas gun laws definitely would play into this. Yeah. Because from what we were looking at, it seems like they could, now this is not confirmed, but they could try to use the Texas Penal Code Mm 9.31. And that's a shooting justified under self-defense. That would probably be what they were claiming, since it seems like self-defense is what they're saying here right but it's so hard because there's no witness statements that's the biggest There's no public charges we don't know who any of these people were right to not hear anybody else at the party be able to say what happened yeah
0: very strange you would think that they would have like gone and tried to find people that were at that party well and there was like 200 plus people there yeah plenty of people to interview
1: and it's also like did this homeowner know this person well Did they not know this person well? What was the story here? Like, I need to know. Again, lots of questions that need answers. Who's the homeowner? I need to know.
0: Six. Also on our list at number six is Florida Man Robert Mazaros and his paranoid pocket knife stabbing. Robert was in a crowd of people in Daytona Beach on New Year's Eve 2016, enjoying a street party just minutes before midnight. Now, we use the word paranoid to describe his attack because before the ball could drop, Robert told police he was, quote, startled when he saw police officers in the crowd. So he started swinging the knife in a, quote, effort to leave the crowd. Totally normal response. So why was he freaked out?
1: Why would waving a knife to get out of a crowd be your first thought? Like throw an elbow or two, but yeah. never
0: take a knife out. Maybe just like coming through. Excuse me. Here I come. That usually works. Or just walk. Yeah, just head down. plow through. Nose to the grindstone. Yeah. Well, the then 32-year-old Robert Mazaros was probably having a good time like everyone else outside the Full Moon Saloon on Main Street on New Year's Eve 2016. I would also like to go to the Full Moon Saloon. I love when pigs rhyme like that. Yeah, it's just I gotta go there. Now, the annual party shuts down the whole street so people can bar hop throughout the night. It really sounds like a fun time. It does. It was almost midnight around 1145, and Robert spotted some police officers in the crowd. Now, it's a giant crowd outside bars on New Year's Eve, obviously, so probably not an unusual sight to see officers patrolling, but for some reason, this made Robert freak out. So his response? As one report put it, he, quote, pulled out a pocket knife and started swinging. Like, I know police make people nervous in general, but this is a very strange response. I get why you were nervous, I guess. Like, that's a normal
1: person response sometimes. yeah. But then you just go swinging a knife. That's where the disconnect happens for me. I don't understand how those two correlate with each other. Well, and it's like,
0: if you're nervous about them, you don't want to pull out a knife. because that's that's going to bring their attention directly to you. Yeah, that's one of the last things you want to do. It is, I'd say. Well, sadly, Robert ended up stabbing three people, including his own fiance, before making a run for it. Officers did catch up with him, though, a few blocks away in a church parking lot. All three victims' wounds were non-fatal, thankfully. But they probably
1: had no idea what happened to them at first. Yeah, of course you not. You start
0: bleeding. You're just celebrating yeah. and then all of a sudden, exactly, you're bleeding. One victim told police about her leg wound, quote, I think it's about five inches long and maybe one to two inches deep. Jeez. Another victim was reported saying, quote, it was probably 30 seconds to a minute before midnight. You get to pass New Year's Eve in an ambulance. It's not very fun. No, I would say not. Like, that stinks. Yeah. So, Robert received a $30,000 bond for three charges of aggravated battery with a deadly weapon. Police did find Robert's bloody pocket knife. It had the logo for the vigilante movie, The Punisher, on it. Huh. So, I feel like there had to have been some kind of reason that he freaked out my first thought because it's new year's eve is like definitely drinking was involved but then the paranoia makes me wonder like was he on something else yeah i have a feeling that a lot of substances might have been
1: behind this yeah mostly it just doesn't seem like any kind of rational response to seeing a police officer It's just a willy-nilly swing your knife around a crowd. I feel like none of that connects. So there's something else here. I think there was a lot of drinking for
0: Robert that night at the very least. I would say so.
1: You know what? This is just further proof that sitting in my house under your sieve and eating cheesecake is where it's at.
0: I think I should have started doing that long ago. Yeah,
1: it's where it's at for sure.
0: And I feel like the rest of this list is only going to solidify that. And I think maybe we should get extra cheesecake this year. I think we should. This list is making me feel that way. A lot of these cases have so many questions. I know. At the end of them, I'm like,
1: what is happening here?
0: I'm going to be like Googling these even more tonight. If I don't find out who that homeowner is, it's yeah. off or not. I need to know. Yeah, I gotta know. That's like one of my the things that I just need to know yeah. now. It's in there now. It's officially locked in. Thanks, research gods. I'm gonna like wake up in the middle of the night like, whose house is <laughs> Who is that homeowner?
3: Pinocchio, Sleeping Beauty, The Little Mermaid. They're all iconic Disney movies. But did you know the original versions of these stories did not end with a happily ever after? Hi, I'm Alastair from Parcast and I'm hosting a new Spotify original called Once Upon a Time. For nine weeks, we're commemorating the 120th anniversary of original Imagineer Walt Disney's birth by lifting the curtain and comparing some of your favorite Disney stories with their earliest tellings. Once Upon a Time will chart Disney's career triumphs, as well as the crushing defeats that almost ruined it all. We'll also look at what it took to bring these stories to life, and why Disney's adapted versions became so memorable across generations. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Once Upon a Time. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify.
0: All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of outrageous New Year's crimes. Starting off the second half
1: of our list, the Simon Says murders. Sitting in prison right now are three high school friends, Simon Sue, Isaac Grimes, and John Matheny. They're serving time for the New Year's Eve murder of another classmate, Tony Dutcher, and his grandparents back in 2000. What makes this case so bizarre is that authorities claim it's a case of Simon Says. They say the murders were directed by Simon Sue, who has been portrayed as a young cult leader. Or in one report, a quote: "Jim Jones in gym class." What a way to
0: say that! That's horrifying in yeah. every way that something can be horrifying. Also, the fact that his name is Simon and it's like a Simon says. It's, yeah, I hate, I it. hate everything about I hate this that so that far. Works. Yeah,
1: the bodies of Tony Dutcher and his grandparents wouldn't be found until days later, on January third, two thousand and one. Tony's grandparents' bodies were discovered in their remote Rocky Mountain home in the small town of Guffey, Colorado. Both had been shot to death. Investigators found Tony's body in his fort near the home. His throat had been cut. Police picked up Tony's friend, Isaac Grimes, who had been with him that night. Isaac confessed to killing Tony and then laid out the whole story. Well, Isaac's version of the story. Isaac and John Matheny were members of a paramilitary cult of high school boys called the Operations and Reconnaissance Agents, also known as O.A.R.A. Why not just join the marching band or student government theater? perhaps? Anything, anything. Simon Sue was the O.A.R.A. leader, and the murders were a test of loyalty to Simon. I'd be like, I am not loyal. No, I am not loyal. Simon Sue was in Canada when the killings took place. Very convenient. Yeah, right. Isaac claims John Mathaney killed the grandparents and then they stole firearms from the home and just took off. According to the Denver Post, Simon Sue was able to control his group with threats and manipulation, saying, quote, Sue wielded psychological control over the group, intimidating them with an array of weapons that he owned and tales of executions, ordering them to turn over a portion of their earnings from after-school jobs, and eventually directing them to commit burglaries in advance of the murders. He's literally like a Jim Jones. This is wild. He is very much a cult leader. But Simon Sue contradicts that, telling ABC News, quote, you know, if you look at my high school records, I did poor in school, you know. My IQ, I'm not a genius by any sorts. In fact, I have an average IQ. Like, dude, you don't need to be smart to be manipulative. It's a different kind of skill. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm not super smart in
0: school, so I couldn't have done
1: this. It's like, you're street smart. Honey, there's no connection there. They don't
0: usually teach you how to orchestrate robberies and murders in school. At least not the school I went to. Yeah, you
1: didn't get an F in manipulation. You got an F in math. We don't need to know it. All three boys pleaded guilty before any trial could take place and were sentenced to roughly 50 to 60 years in jail each. Good. Even though they're behind bars, they each continue to have different stories as to what happened and why. That's like
0: annoying because it's like, you're in jail anyways. That's the You're thing. in jail for a long, long time. Just tell us the story. 50 to 60 years each. Tell the real thing. Right. Just tell
1: the story. Three people died here. Like, come on. Just tell the yeah. story. But what's crazy to me in this whole thing is Simon Sue is, I mean, it's the youngest Cult leader that I can think of. And he was a bona fide cult leader. He very much is. Yeah.
0: It's wild. Yeah. That's very scary. Four. Landing at number four this week is Christian Gomez. This case will frustrate you and maybe divide opinions of those listening. We see it time and time again, the justice and mental health systems are broken. And in Florida, when Christian Gomez murdered his mother on New Year's Eve, 2014, the debate of mental health support versus justice for a criminal act collided big time. Since he was 18, Christian Gomez's mother, Maria, tried to get him the help and treatment that he needed for his mental health struggles. Christian's sister told the Tampa Bay Times, my mom loved Christian. She would do anything to protect him, but nobody could help us. She went to therapists, psychiatrists, counselors. Every time something else happened, they would say, up his dose of meds. They didn't take the time to really look at Christian and figure out what was wrong with him. So on New Year's Eve 2014, 23-year-old Christian Gomez was at home where he lived with his mother. She just asked Christian to help move some boxes. Reportedly, Christian was already holding some resentment toward his mother, thinking she preferred his older brother more than him. Instead of helping her with the boxes, he responded by attacking his mother in the garage with an axe, decapitating her. Oh my gosh. He then put her body near the trash cans and just took off on a bike. Wow. Yeah. His older brother called 911 to report the murder, and Christian was arrested just a few blocks away after another 911 call reported a suspicious man riding a bicycle. Christian confessed to the crime during police questioning. After killing his mother, Christian spent roughly three years in a state mental hospital before being declared competent to stand trial in 2018. Instead of a trial, though, he accepted a plea of 25 years in prison, followed by 10 years of probation and treatment. The competency diagnosis and subsequent prison term caused some debate among his family. Christian's uncle told the Tampa Bay Times, he doesn't need to be in jail. He needs to be in a mental hospital. The concern is that he won't get the help he needs in prison. And when he gets out, he won't be well enough and could possibly hurt someone else. That's a really fair point. Yeah, I agree with his uncle. I think he should be put in a mental hospital and, like, you know, given treatment. Because it sounds like his entire
1: family knew and knows that he needs help and that nobody was giving him. Not for lack of trying. Right, like his his family was trying. But they weren't getting the right help because nobody was willing to actually give him help. They just wanted to medicate him, which is a
0: big problem. Yeah, it really is sad that like mental health just really is something that we're still working on.
1: Yeah, it's like a side dish. It's never the main event Mm -hmm. and it needs to be.
0: It truly does.
2: Three.
1: Number three on our countdown of outrageous New Year's crimes is the Campinas Massacre in Brazil. Campinas is a city in southeast Brazil where most people were celebrating the New Year in 2017. But under the cover of fireworks as the New Year hit, 46-year-old Sidney Ramis de Araujo walked into a party where his estranged wife and 8-year-old son were and opened fire. A neighbor was able to call for help when one victim stumbled onto their property looking for help. Local reports say Sydney, who worked as a lab tech, was mad about his wife getting custody of their son. The son's teacher said that the son hated his father and that he wanted to kill him when he got older. Abuse was suspected. Perhaps the cause of the divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Reportedly carrying a 9mm pistol, a knife, and quote, unspecified but unused explosives Sidney made his way to the house where his wife and son were celebrating the new year with many other people at a party Sidney first left a voice message on his cell apologizing for what he was about to do this is where you check yourself at this moment is where you say what am I doing? Seriously. What am I about to do right now? I'm going this far to leave a voicemail saying, I'm so sorry for what I'm going to do. That's where you go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I shouldn't like, do this. If you're so sorry for what you're about to do, then don't do it. This is your moment to check in with
0: yourself and yeah, say no. You will not have to be sorry if you don't do this.
1: Well, survivors and witnesses told police Sydney then jumped the fence to the house just before midnight, walked into the party, yelled, I'll kill you. You took my son and started shooting my gosh one report says the wife and son managed to escape the initial gunfire and hid in the back of the house but he found them sydney killed 11 people that day oh my goodness including his wife and son before taking his own life one neighbor thought the noise was fireworks until one bloodied victim stumbled onto their property looking for help Crime rates are high in Brazil, and gun deaths happen in all sorts of crime situations, but mass murders are not common, and Latin America was in shock. What a terrible, terrible story Yeah, all it around.
0: Reminds me a lot of, is it the Covina Christmas? Yeah, I know
1: exactly what you're talking about, when he showed up as Santa, Santa Claus. Santa Claus,
0: yeah. Yep,
1: and it was, uh, kids were killed, kids were hurt. Mm-hmm. It's just so senseless. No one wins, everyone loses, it's oh, it's just horrific. Wow, are you excited for the new year? Not even a little
0: bit, is everyone sight like clink? Old
1: And also, this is like
0: a New Year's that we have to be cautious about in the first place. I've seen so many things where it's like, nobody claim 2022. No, and please don't. I don't. No, you don't. We We don't know.
1: Nobody does. Could be good. It's coming. Who knows? Hey, she'll be coming around the mountain. You know what else is coming?
0: Uh, The last two parts of this countdown. Yeah, and I'm really scared. You should be. Ugh. I'm also very scared. I was just going to say, I have number number one. (laughs) one, And it's always like longer and scariest.
1: And I can tell you right now, it's a rough one.
0: Okay, so buckle up. We're going to get through this. Two. We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of outrageous New Year's crimes. At number two is Springfield, Missouri killer, Brandon King. New Year's Eve 2020 at about 12.47 PM, police get a 911 call about a young girl standing outside of her home. The girl's throat had been cut. Police arrived to find her and another young girl on the lawn, both had been stabbed. Inside the house, a woman and a young boy were found dead. A knife was found on a chair, and there were bloodstains on an open sliding door that led to the backyard. What they didn't find right away was a suspect, but police caught him quickly. When the 911 call came in about the injured little girl on the front lawn, dispatchers spoke to a man who said after spotting the girl, he kicked his way into the house. Inside, he witnessed a bald man in a white shirt who then ran out the back door, leaving those bloodstains on the sliding door. The man said he then got another young girl out of the house just before police arrived. When police arrived, they found the body of a 13-year-old boy and a 32-year-old woman inside the house. The 14 and seven-year-old girls who were outside were taken to the hospital for treatment. So what happened here?
1: Thank you, I was about to ask that. I I was like, excuse
0: me, you need to explain all this. You were like, this is a lot going on. What's happening? Now, the deceased woman's boyfriend, Brandon King, was found by police patrolling the area. He admitted to the stabbings, saying he was about to flee the state on unrelated charges and went there to steal money before that happened. He then decided to kill everyone so that there wouldn't be any witnesses. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, like that sounds like a great
1: plan, Guy. You are running away because you are being charged with something else. Right. So you just decide to commit the worst crimes you can think of before you leave town. Like, he
0: slit a seven-year-old's throat. That's horrific. What is wrong with this man? He also admitted the man who kicked open the door kept him from killing the other two kids. King was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, one count of child abuse resulting in death, two counts of first-degree assault, and two counts of abuse of a child, and seven counts of armed criminal action. Wow. And I hope he spent the rest of his life in prison. I sure hope so. Yeah.
3: One.
1: And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 outrageous New Year's crimes the shooting of Oscar Grant. It's no surprise there's crowds of rowdy people out on New Year's Eve. In Oakland, California, that's what was going on early New Year's Day in 2009. People were on the trains, probably returning home from parties and whatnot. But when one train pulled into Fruitvale Station, however, the crowd on this train collided with some police officers who made some very aggressive moves that ended with the death of 22-year-old Oscar Grant. It's a case that had a lot of excuses, but one with a lot of evidence because it's one of the original police-involved shootings caught on cell phone video. 2 a.m., it's New Year's Day, 2009. Oscar Grant was on the train with some friends after being in San Francisco. As the train left the West Oakland station headed towards the Fruitvale station, a fight was reported on the train. BART officer Tony Peroni is already at the Fruitvale station. Now, BART stands for Bay Area Rapid Transit, but we'll call it BART from I now on. I was going to say thank you because I did not know what <laughs> you that know, meant. know, BART officer. As the train pulls up, according to witnesses, Peroni had his taser drawn. He's cursing and he pulls Oscar Grant and his friends off the train. As seen in witness video, Officer Peroni handcuffs one of Oscar's friends. By this time, more BART officers had arrived, including Johannes Messerly. For some reason, Officer Peroni rushes at Oscar Grant and gets rough with him. He tells Oscar he's being arrested for resisting arrest, though it's unclear why he would have been getting arrested in the first place to resist. And then officer Messerly is seen on video pulling out his gun and shooting Oscar with one shot. Oh my gosh. Oscar
0: Grant dies from this wound. I can't imagine at like what close proximity that was. He's literally arresting right him and then just like just out of boom. nowhere. It's such chaos and none of it makes sense And know It's like they were just on the train a second ago and you pulled them off. Like what did they do wrong? And it got this crazy that fast. It doesn't make any sense. And you're not like, He's not resisting arrest. You're not arresting him for anything No, No, it doesn't make sense. And there was some really shady moves by police at this scene. It's sad how, like, this is becoming... Yeah. ...thing.
1: Now, this is where things got messy when it came to accountability and following proper police procedure. hmm After the shooting, officers had the train take off again with witnesses on board. And they never radioed to alert other train station officers of what happened or to interview any potential witnesses.
0: And imagine Spy just, witnesses. Imagine also being one of those people on the train and you're like, what did I just see? Yes. And now I'm just off to my destination. Like, And it's like, what do you do when you get there? You're just like, do I call some? What do, what do, do I do right And those are the police. So who do
1: I call? The police just sent me away. Do I call them again and say, hi, you shouldn't have sent me away? Yeah. I saw something bad. And no one's telling anyone? No other officers are knowing that this is happening?
0: No, this is very messed up.
1: They also never radioed that there was a police-involved shooting. Of course they didn't. Which, that's, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. Officer Messerly declined to talk to investigators on that day. What? You yeah. shot someone. I wonder why. And really, it took the media airing cell phone footage to really start to get police to acknowledge really much of anything in detail. Thank goodness people had the
0: wherewithal to take their cell phones out and Thank goodness. start taking video.
1: Now, there were conflicting excuses. Officer Messerly would end up with two excuses. One, he said he thought Oscar Grant had a gun. That doesn't
0: mean that you can shoot him. Classic excuse. Two, he also said he thought he was reaching for his taser. If you have had as much training as you were supposed to have, you know the difference between a taser and a gun. Yeah, I think we've seen a couple of things where that's been the case and it doesn't doesn't add up.
1: You can't just cry, oopsie. Yeah, you can't, not with someone's life. No. And another thing that makes it even wilder of an excuse and something that you can't use in these situations is your taser and your gun are on opposite sides. And probably for that reason, so that you do not get them confused. And you're pretty trained to know which side it is. And it's kind of like, you know, writing and stuff or like things you learn to do with certain hands. It becomes second nature if you're trained properly. Right. So it doesn't make any sense. Now Messerly resigned from the force before being convicted of involuntary manslaughter and served 11 months in prison. An independent investigation in 2009 revealed that, quote, "...Officer Tony Peroni was in large part responsible for setting the events in motion that created a chaotic and tense situation on the platform, setting the stage, even if inadvertent, for the shooting of Oscar Grant." Which, yeah, that's the truth right there. The report cost Peroni his job, but he was never
0: charged which is wild to me yeah and just like devastating for oscar grant's family yes
1: now oscar grant's mother told npr quote nothing happened to him and that's what's so disheartening and so upsetting to me Mm -hmm. this man started an event that spiraled out of control and caused my son to lose his life and like
0: nothing happened i can't imagine that feel like how helpless and the man that killed her son like took her son's life 11 months in prison. Served 11 months. Not even a full year. For
1: taking another
0: human's life.
1: Well, in 2021, California reviewed Peroni's role again. And while they agreed he did not follow protocols and was wrong in his actions, there was nothing to charge him with. That's so disappointing. The entire story was adapted into the 2013 film Fruitvale Station, starring Michael B.
3: Jordan.
0: So number one was definitely number one. Yeah, it's absolutely number one. That
1: one was really sad. It really bothers me that like no real justice came out of that. No, nothing. It was senseless, and nothing came out of it. They were on the train. Yeah, they 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 weren't doing anything. And nothing they were doing on the train should result in that.
0: No, and somebody dying. Absolutely not. No, I think that was for sure number one. Yeah, the Parkhouse Research Gods, you did it again. Because I can't think of anything. To be honest, I had no idea
1: this many terrible things happened on New Year's. yeah i had always heard that like nothing good happens after midnight
0: but like wow this really solidified it yeah that really just locked that in well thanks for listening we'll be back next week with another great episode remember to follow crime countdown on
1: spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week you can find all episodes of crime
0: countdown and all other podcast shows for free on spotify And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And
1: if you like us, which I hope you do, because you're still here, you can listen to Morbid anywhere you listen to podcasts. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Amorbid Podcast or on Instagram at Morbid
0: Podcast. And we hope you keep it weird until Monday and stay safe, whatever your New Year's plans are. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristin Acevedo, with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Fact-checking by Kara Mackerling. Research by Jay Cahio. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristin Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart.
3: Walt Disney had a gift for storytelling that resonated with audiences. From a puppet who wanted to become a real boy, to a mermaid who yearned to be part of the human world, Disney has developed relatable and unforgettable characters. Hi, it's Alastair from ParCast. Join me for Once Upon a Time, a special collection of ParCast episodes celebrating the original Imagineer himself, as well as the origins of Disney's most iconic characters and stories. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Once Upon a Time and catch new episodes Mondays free and only on Spotify.